Um, so anyhow, so we are on chapter 20 of Acts. Uh, so if you'll open with me, we're not, we're going to open your Bibles up to chapter 20. I'm going to summarize the end of chapter um, 19. Um, at the end of chapter 19, Paul um, had some ministry happening in Ephesus. Um, the business people got a little angry with him because he was messing with their business model and whatnot. And there ends up being, in the end of chapter 19, actually a pretty big riot. So much so that, um, I, I'm going to forget, Aristarchus, Arist, I think I said the guy's name wrong, and, and Gaius, two people that traveled with Paul, actually got dragged into like the stadium. The business leaders in the church, or the government leaders in the church were actually telling Paul, don't go there, it's not safe for you. So there's just a big chaotic mess. Um, the mayor of the city ended up having to go into the city and actually calm things down into the stadium. He calmed it down. And um, this is kind of where chapter 20 picks up. Basically, after a massive riot and um, people being pulled everywhere, the mayor calms it down, and we end in chapter 20. So, uh, chapter 20, verse 1. So, if you wouldn't mind standing with me as we honor the reading of God's Word, we're going to read the first 12 verses of Acts chapter 20 uh, to kind of start things off today. So, uh, after the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself embraced them and departed to go to Macedonia. Now when he, had gone over that, uh, when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece, and he stayed three months. And then the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria. He decided to return through Macedonia. And Sopater, I'm probably saying the name wrong, of Berea, accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians and Gaius of Derby and Timothy and Tychus and Trophimus of Asia. All words I can't say. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Now, this is interesting. On the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to part the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were at, where they were gathered, and in a window sat a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, Do not trouble yourself, for his life is in him. Now when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while, even until daybreak he departed, and they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that we get to just jump into such an amazing story of what you did. Lord, I pray that today you would speak to my heart, speak to all of our hearts, that you would change our lives through the living word of God in Jesus' name. Amen? You may be seated. Um, all right. So a couple things. One of the things they tell you to do when you're preaching is make sure you, 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 you kind of share, teach, state what's explicitly said in the text, right? Um, that's, that's of most importance. So we're going to blow through that really quick, but it's really interesting. Some things that are explicitly said in the text we just read. Verse 7. Some people wonder, why do we worship on Sunday? This is one of the first instances where the Bible actually talks about the believers gathering and worshiping on, on Sunday, on the first day of the week. And the early church did that because that was the day that Jesus rose from the dead until we recognized that and our, our worship shifted from the Jewish Sabbath of you know, sundown Friday through sundown Saturday to Sunday. 
So that's the first thing, we worship on Saturday. The second thing that's really explicitly stated in this, if you, if you, you don't have to read too far between the lines, is that preachers preach a long time. <laughs> right? It's okay, it's biblical. And the other part of that is people fall asleep during sermons. Fred's giving me a thumbs up. I'm not saying I catch you anytime sleeping, but we'll just go there. People fall asleep in sermons, and preachers like to preach. And the fourth thing, fourth thing that's really explicit here is whether we have context for it or not, people being raised from the dead is part of the gospel experience of a New Testament believer. Amen? Amen? You ever read that and think, man, that, that, that's, that's a little outside my comfort zone, but I get it because Jesus raises people from the dead. That's just what he does, right? Um, and I, I laugh about those things, and even though some of them are kind of tongue-in-cheek, there's a reality to all of it, right? We gather to hear the word of the Lord. Some of us go really long. Um, people do fall asleep. But the one we're probably most actually uncomfortable with is this raising from the dead thing. Like, I like to believe it in my mind. It sounds like a good story. But what does that look like in 2021? I live in Biddeford, Maine, right? What does that look like here? Is that a thing? Um, so to actually... I. I I remembered a story, and we're going to have a video here in just a minute that they're going to play, of some really dear people to me. So my wife is actually going to interview for a few short minutes her parents. Uh, Kathy and Dennis McKay are some of my favorite people on the planet. They were missionaries in the South Pacific, halfway between the Australia and Hawaii, for a number of years. And I remembered, as I was going through this, I remembered a story Kathy had told me, and I said, you've got you to have your parents share this story. Um, because what happened here happened in their church. And so I'd really like you to hear it from them, if that's okay. So it's a little, uh, turn your attention to the screens, and we'll have a video going for you here. So mom and dad, I just wanted to uh, talk about the time when we used to live in the, in the islands. We lived in the South Pacific. It's, it was called the Marshall Islands. And we mm -hmm. lived on the remotest part of Majuro Marshall Islands, which is Laura. And I remember we were in a church service um, a Marshallese church service, and I was a teenager at the time. And all I remember is everybody was singing, and it was really loud. And all of a sudden, <laughs> there was like yeah. motion over to my right, and this uh, this lady had fallen over, and um, nobody knew what to do. And then everybody went over and prayed for her. And I found out later that she actually had died. And so I wanted you guys just to tell that um, story because you guys were the ones that were kind of the leaders. And can you share sure. that story? Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. Uh, at that morning, I was supposed to speak. The pastor of the church was uh, was gone that day. And uh, he, as quite often I was being the missionary, I was asked to bring the message. Anyway, we were in, in the worship service and uh, a man named Manuel, uh, really a jolly guy. He was big for uh, Marshallese, and his wife' name was Araman, and very frail woman. And they, we got to be very close to Araman. They had their uh, two grandchildren in our school. So anyway, while Ar I mean Manuel stood up or he was praying, I can't remember exactly, but he uh, he his voice broke. He said, "Would you?" pray for my wife, Araman. Uh, mm -hmm. She's not feeling well or something mm -hmm. to that effect. We looked over and Araman was flat on her back on the pew and her mouth was open. And uh, so Kath, Kathy, along with 
a lot of the women rushed immediately up and began praying for laying hands on her. I was sitting with uh, Conrad Ani, who was a Marshallese man, and he he interpreted for me while I while I brought the message. Anyway, we were sitting there, and the women were there, and he said, he turned to me and said, uh, "What should we do?" And I looked around. I well, oh, pray, yeah, let's go pray for because <laughs> the women are already there. You know. Then did the so, music stop at that point, or what happened? It did. Yeah, mm -hmm. the worship beat really stopped. We all mm -hmm. we gathered around. We're praying mm -hmm. for Errolman, and uh, we looked at her, and she appeared dead. Mm -hmm. Her uh, her mouth was open. There was no. She wasn't breathing, mm -hmm. and uh, her. Marshallese are brown-skinned people, but she was not brown. She was ashen to ashen, white, yeah. almost mm -hmm. her color of her skin. And mm -hmm. I thought, oh God, please don't take this woman, because mm -hmm. she was such a precious woman to us. Mm -hmm. Anyway, while we're praying, uh, Derek, yeah, everything, the worship and everything had stopped because they were, all the attention was at the corner, like you said. Derek came down from. He was also the uh, worship leader. Uh, in the church at that time so he came down and he asked me what should I do and I said you know a flash kind of came went through my mind about Jehoshaphat when they were surrounded by evil uh, armies going to destroy them the prophet told them to send the singers out first and mm -hmm. then another thing I thought you know it says uh, God inhabits the praise of his of his people mm -hmm. so i said let's just continue let's worship let's praise god and uh, so he went back up and derek began leading worship again mm -hmm. and i mean the whole congregation really entered in worshiping and mm -hmm. praising god and we looked at i was looking at we're all praying for arrowman looked down mm -hmm. i noticed a little tear this was we'd been praying quite a while and there was a little tear in the corner of her eye and i thought wow dead people don't cry and then pretty soon we noticed i think mm -hmm. Kath, kathy yeah, yeah. her hand raised up and then pretty soon the other hand raised up and then she had her arms lying flat on the back her arms were stretched out to god and uh then mm -hmm. a few more minutes later she was sitting up with her arms up praising god never opening mm -hmm. her eyes but just sitting mm -hmm. there praising and then another <laughs> this was like in uh, kind of a procession here she from there she stood up with her arms raised worshiping god and then she began dancing around the dancing dancing broke. and and uh, th there, there was pandemonium in the church then because everybody <laughs> jumped up and everyone was praising oh, and worshiping yeah. and dancing so, but god that's yeah. basically what happened that day mm, but the story's not over <laughs> <laughs> part two we were just kathy and i were just full of joy i mean we just to see god move in such a miraculous mm -hmm. way and and nothing we did did anything we we weren't evangelists laying hands on healing and nothing we just we just what prayed god we didn't said. know what to do we prayed well and i think god spoke to kathy too mm -hmm. and told her to what too. Well, I, I I couldn't remember much about it, so I went looking in my journal, and and uh, I I noticed that it was the Lord that really 
um, you know, my mind started to grieve because we thought we lost her. And then the Lord told me to pray the spirit of life back into her body. And, and um, so, but all the, all the ladies were right around her praying. And so God did it. Yeah. It's just amazing. But we went to town yeah. for lunch and we went into Quick Stop. And, uh, which was a, a Marshley's restaurant, a little Marshley's mm -hmm. restaurant there. And uh, we were on some kind of business for the school. I don't remember exactly what we're doing. But uh, while we were there, uh, another pastor, a young pastor named Kiso Lang, who was also a great friend. Mm -hmm. And and he was pastor yeah, of, uh, of a vibrant worshiping church at the end of the other end, opposite end of the island where we were in Rita. And he, uh, they, he and his deacon came over and greeted us, and uh, we were so full of joy. We told him everything had happened, and he and his deacon were kind of chuckling. And I, to me, I thought, well, won't you believe me? I mean, what's going on? But he said, and then he apologized. He says, I'm sorry. We were laughing because exactly the same thing happened in our church today at the same time a woman, a woman had collapsed and, uh, but they had the opportunity to pick her up and uh, after you know they prayed for her course and they by the time they took her to the hospital she was alive again yeah why did we call why didn't we call the doctor um i'm not even sure we had a telephone at that time <laughs> but uh, uh it was uh the hospital that there was a hospital but it was an hour away. It was, yeah, at least an hour away. It was 30 miles on the other end of, the, of this one-lane one road, and we just wouldn't have time to, to get it there. So we had to pray. <laughs> just had to pray. Just rely on but God. But God, God took care of it within a short amount of time, you know, so. But, uh, so that's just, we, the church was under attack that day. Yeah. But uh, God says he'll, you know, He'll be with us. He'll walk yeah. with us. I mean, yeah. in, the, in the valley of the shadow of death, I'll be with you. And so he was there that day. Isn't that a good story? Isn't that cool? I just... One of the things I just want to... This is off topic, but one thing I want to bring your attention is he's, he's looking at a lady who's dead, and he, and he thought, well, I just had this thought that Jehoshaphat brought the singers in. Sometimes the voice of the Lord sounds like a little memory or a little thought or something coming to your attention you weren't thinking of. And in that moment, he just started worshiping and all heaven broke loose. So I just think that's really good. I share that today because I want to bring the idea that we serve a God who raises the dead off the paper and into real life. I mean, that's my in-laws. That's my father-in-law, my mother-in-law. They're sitting in their home and next to Mount Rainier in Washington State. So they're real people with real stories and God, God doing real things. Um, when we look at this verse in, in uh, Acts chapter 20, I want to do something really simple. And I just want to take verse 10, and I want to talk through verse 10. Um, I'm not a big fan of secrets and keys. People open up scriptures, and they're trying to find secrets and keys and five ways to do this and three ways to do that, whatever. If that works for you, great. That's not my cup of tea. But I do think once in a while you can kind of see um, 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 ways of doing things that, that have worked. Maybe it's not the only way, right? I think in verse 10 is one of those things. We look at what did Paul do? And I want to suggest that he did three things. He probably didn't think about them, actually, but he did three things. When you look at verse 10, let's, uh, I don't even have Acts open anymore. Uh, verse 10. But Paul went down, fell on him, and embraced him. Then he said, don't trouble yourself, for life is still in him. Paul moved toward 
the man. He leaned in to God and he loved well. And I want to suggest to us today, if you're intimidated at all with any, in any form of ministry, those are the only three, three, only three things you need to do, is move toward, lean in, and love well. And I just want to talk through that. Uh, the scripture compels us. It says in, um, in, in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, for Christ's love compels us. Sometimes we have a, a neighbor or a family member maybe in need, or we, we see some crisis, and we're like, we don't really know what to do, right? Uh, honestly, when someone passes away is the best time. Nobody knows what to do. It's all like uncharted territory, right? The idea is, though, what Paul did is he just moved toward the situation. He moved toward the person. He said, I'm going to get out of my seat in the third story of this building, go down and move toward the person in need. And as, as a church of Jesus that is meant to bring the light of Christ to a hurting world, that's, that's the first thing we need to do. We don't, we don't need a Bible study. We don't need to figure out the Latin and the Greek and the Hebrew and whatever else. We just need to move toward the person in need and see what God has for us next. Amen? He got down. My wife was joking. She said, she said can you imagine Paul's preaching all night long till midnight? And he's, she's prob- he's probably telling people, this is what ministry looks like. This is how to live the life in Christ. This is what Jesus can do. Blah, blah, blah. And next thing you know, someone dies and everyone waits for the pastor. You know, but he did. He moved down, and he's like, "No, let's 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 meet this person in their time of need." So, Second Corinthians five says this: "It says, for it is Christ's love that this is under the Passion translation that fuel. Am I on? Feel like I'm off. That fuels our passion and holds us tightly. For it's Christ's love that fuels our passion that holds us tightly, because we're convinced that He's given His life for all of us. This means that." All died with him, so that those who live should no longer live self-absorbed lives, but lives that are poured out for him. That's really what ministry is, is our life is just poured out for God. Even more so than the person in front of us. We love that person in front of us. But honestly, like... (laughs) For my next magical trick... Um, <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. No, I was just saying, like, whether you're preaching, whether your, your, your ministry is you're um, a mom at home, right? Whether your ministry is um, I'm, I'm a teacher or, uh, you know, I teach elementary school or I'm a nurse. All true ministry is for the glory of Jesus first and secondly to help people. Because true love for the person comes out of love for God. And so I think it's really interesting that this verse just says it this way. It says that those who live no longer live self-absorbed lives, but are lives poured out for him. Which is really interesting. We, I, um, I have just a few minutes, so I'll keep it quick. But I, I was part of a church in upstate New York that through some divine happenings ended up doing missions trips to Ghana, West Africa, with about 10 other gospel-believing churches, which in and of itself is a miracle to begin with. But they did it over the course of like 15 years. It was phenomenally amazing. The first trip I went on in 2001, um, I remember somebody saying, well, how much does it cost to get 16 or 20 people from Corning, New York to to Cape Coast, West Africa? You know, and they're calculating it all out and telling me, well, why don't we just take the money and give it to them? It's because money doesn't actually minister, people do, right? That's the whole reason why there's 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 a value to going on missions trips is because God deposits something in your heart and he wants you to go. Now, your mission may not be Ghana, West Africa. Your mission may be Southern Maine Medical Center right? Your mission may be Kennebunk High School, whatever it is. Like, he sends people into places because you have Jesus and you carry it there. The love of Christ compels us into that situation. And so the first thing is to move toward. Maybe there's something in your life where you're like, I'm a little bit overwhelmed with this situation. I need God in, in, a, in a relationship that seems uh, very difficult. And uh, 
you know, and I'm not telling you what to do, but I'm saying pray, and maybe God would say, hey, it's time to move toward. Maybe you don't need to have it all figured out in your head how it's going to work out. Maybe the first step is faith, just say, I'm going to move toward this person, and I'm going to love them, and I'm going to see Jesus in, it, in them, and, and we're going to go for it that way. The second one is what I call lean in. That's kind of my own words, uh, my own uh, language, is, is as we walk in the Spirit, to lean into the Holy Spirit, constantly looking to say, God, what are you doing? And in this, in this um, verse, what Paul did, uh, interestingly enough, was he threw himself on top of the dead person. I think it was Elijah or Elisha did the same thing, right? Someone's dead. And I don't know where they get that from, like the book of raising the dead or something, but you evidently throw yourself on. Um, but I think the point wasn't so much necessarily that um, he knew going into this that, that this is what God was telling him to do. I think in the moment, he's just following where he feels the Lord leading him. He's leaning in, and, and that was what he felt like the Lord saying to do, or where he felt, you know, there were some parts of Scripture where the Lord actually said, do what's... Um, what you feel led in your own heart. Like, just follow the leading of your heart. Just go. The, the, the Lord's actually released people to do that. So in, um, was it Mark, I think, chapter 3, and I actually quoted the verse already this morning, I think. It said, Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. And that is our, our model. If we have any model, that's our model for ministry, is trying to see God in the situation. Um, there was a, a lady some years ago that I went to church with, and I, I've actually used this conversation a couple times since then, so... I'm not talking about you if this sounds familiar. Um, but every time she would have discernment, it was actually toward something evil, wrong, or sinful, right? It was interesting that her discernment only caught like a devil in the room. She only saw a demon, and she, whatever it was. And, and I began to hear her story, and she developed her gift of discernment as a child being abused. And so the Lord actually developed that in a season of warfare. I mean, she's literally, for her own self-protection, learning, and, and the Lord's teaching herself as a kid. And so she, we talked through, I said, you've got to retrain that, because what, what we do as Christians is not necessarily just look for demons. I mean, that's helpful to some extent, but usually people that have those problems, those of us that have sin issues or demonic issues in our lives, we're pretty well aware of it. But what we're not aware is Jesus in the midst of our storm. Right? What we're not aware is that the, the king, the, the one who breaks down walls, is in the midst of our prison. And what we need is a Christian to come alongside, see Jesus in the midst of it, and begin to call out the reality of Jesus in the midst of that storm. And so when, when Jesus would come and he, he would only do what he saw the Father doing, what that looked like was he would take a man with a shriveled hand and he would say, stretch out your hand. He didn't need to preach and teach about healing. But he just said, stretch out your hand because he saw that God was in the midst of actually healing hands in that moment. And as that hand got stretched out, it, it happened. There was a blind, what was it, um, was it blind men? No, there were lepers. I think 10 lepers, right? And Jesus said, hey, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, the scripture says, as they walked away from Jesus, they got healed, right? He saw God was in the midst of that. There was, there's many times an action to our faith, right? Another way they said it, Paul said, is, is faith without works is dead. If all my faith is, is something that's mentally in my head, but it doesn't, doesn't come out to the way I live or the way I speak or the way I talk, it doesn't have any practical application, then it's kind of dead. But what Jesus would do is he would, he would see what God was doing in the midst of stuff. He would lean into the Holy Spirit. Paul saw this dead guy and said, I, in the moment, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw myself on top of him. Did, did throwing himself on top of him like start his heart? I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't know. That's the truth. But the, what I think was, I think it was an act of faith. I think he just spread himself out, gave his all to God and said, Jesus, you're here with me. I'm believing for your resurrection power that's inside of me to shoot into this boy's body. 
And I think that's, that's, that's the leaning in, right? And I think sometimes it's, it's like tongues and interpretation. It's risky. You don't know how that's going to go. Marie's like, do you have the interpretation? I don't know if you heard that. And I was like, no. <laughs> no, I'm pretty confident I don't. But, but let's believe somebody does, right? There, what's, what's the worst that's going to happen? The, the, the boy who's already dead doesn't get up. And that, that, that's tragic. I'm sorry, but he's already dead. Right? What's the worst that can, is going to happen that, that you just speak in tongues and we're so, we just say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sorry. We're not supposed to do that, right? Paul encourages us that we don't just yap in tongues from the stage. We're supposed to do it with... So we can offer an apology. We, we give it a shot. And I think those types of risks and leaning into God and saying, God, I, I'm going to go out on such a limb that unless you show up, the power goes out. That's right. The Lord has my back. All right, so you kind of got the idea. I'm going to move on here. Um, what I, I don't know if, yeah. The, the Bible says to make your calling and election sure. And so some people, I think the way that I teach might be frustrating. But what I know about the way I teach is it's not so much about the, 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 the line upon line stuff. It's not the, the details. The way I teach is what's in my heart is that we grasp a hold of the nature of who God is. Right? That he's the God who calls things that be not as though they were. He doesn't counsel the things that be not until they get to become what they were. He just calls them as they are, right? He doesn't, count, he doesn't do, not that there's anything wrong with counseling. I'm just saying he doesn't, he doesn't write a dissertation about something and then because of that, life, no, no, he just speaks life and says that's the way it is. You know, you're stuck, you're stuck in uh, addiction. You're stuck in whatever it may be. The Lord speaks into your life and declares who you are under the blood of Jesus. And if you'll agree with that, that's when the miracle happens. Okay, and then the third one, move toward, lean in, Love well. All true Christian ministry is grounded and birthed in love. And so what Paul did is it says in verse 10, but Paul went down, right? He moved toward the, the person. He fell on him. He leaned into what God was doing, and he embraced him. Um, another real fun story, and I didn't get the permissions, so I won't use names. But when I have my prayer team training uh, for the altar prayer team up here, I always use this. Because people are like, well, what, is, what does it mean to pray? I don't, I don't feel equipped to pray. I don't feel like I can be part of that team. And I get that often. And I said, well, this is my favorite of all prayer team moments thus far, is um, I watched a lady come down the front years ago here, three, four years ago, and she's just broken and just weeping. And another member of my prayer team came up and didn't get all religious and weird. She grabbed her, and they cried together for about four or five minutes. And I felt the presence of God on that moment stronger than any other prayer I could have come up with, right? Like loving people well invites the Lord into the situation. There's a, there's a worldly compassion that's, that I call pity, even though they're kind of synonyms. Pity, I heard somebody once say, pity pets the problem. Oh, poor you. But compassion actually brings in the power of God, the love of God, the miracle work of God to, to do something about it. And as Christians, whether we feel like it or not, because we have the resurrection power of Jesus in us, we have the one who is the answer to all the, the world's problems. And so, um, love well. All true Christian ministry is grounded in and birthed out of love because love never fails, because faith works by love, and because the anointing of God, in my estimation, is intricately connected, tied to compassion. And I, I used to, when I um, would teach my youth group about the anointing, I would, it, it's hard because it's weird, but the Lord actually takes things in the natural, and he uses them to, to explain things in the spirit sometimes. And I think one of the things that's in my mind is, you ever remember when you're a kid, um, and you on your bike, and you fall, and you scrape your knee, and you come in, and you can't kind of walk because you're all bloody, right? And you're just crying, and it hurts bad, right? 
probably your pride is hurt more than anything, but you've just been hurt. And what does your mom do? You don't want dad. Dad does not helpful. He's like, walk it off. <laughs> what you want is mom. What does mom do? Mom grabs you, right? Mom says, come here, honey. Mom holds you. Does the hug actually help anything physically? No. But does it mean everything? Yeah. It does. And I think there's something about the anointing of God, that, that compassionate hug of a mother, that, that embrace where we come in love, releases the power of God in the same way it released healing to me when I had hurt, hurt knees. I, I can't really explain it, but I know that when he says faith works by love, we can have all the, the words and, and, and we can yell and do all this stuff, but if, it, if we don't love people, true ministry is not actually happening. It's, it's just me yelling and screaming. Um, Move toward, lean in, love well. I think that what, we, what, what the Lord would like us to kind of think about through this story today in Acts chapter 20 is, number one, first and foremost, let's just believe the word, right? That um, like, like Dennis and Kathy said, we, we do serve a God that still raises the dead. Now, we've met, maybe never experienced it. Uh, some of us may have. Um, I'll, I'll shamefully tell you my story. I, I was around when a gentleman was raised from the dead. I was, a t I was about 20. It was in Gang Mills, New York, at a, at a tent revival. The pastor's name was Spanford Esselfi. He's a friend of mine from Ghana, and he invited two other preachers in. And before the meeting started, we kind of was like, it was like the pregame show. We were just kind of, you know, blessing the Lord, worshiping this big man, falls over, takes some chairs out with him, and you're like, he didn't fall over by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, he, uh, we had a couple nurses in the audience, and they came and they literally called an ambulance. He's got no heartbeat. He's got no breath. So me, Pastor Tom, the great man of faith and power, runs to the pastor's house. I'm like, somebody died in your meeting. <laughs> I always said, Lord, I wanted to see that. Then when I see it, I'm like, I'm out of here. I don't know what to do with this. Well, this short man, he was probably this tall from Togo. He was probably as wide as he was tall. Got mad at me. And he said, people don't die in my meetings. They come to life. And he didn't even run. He just kind of walked, sauntered over. And he commanded that guy to get up. Well, my, my jaw was on the ground. That guy got right up. He had two nurses doing everything, right? He, they were blowing and pumping and trying to get the guy back to nothing. A short guy from Togo comes in Gang Mills, New York, and tells him to get off the ground, and the guy gets off the ground. He, the ambulance comes. He sits on the ambulance and says, I don't want to go with you. I'm actually going to stay at the meeting now. That'll change your theology a little bit. Right? <laughs> I always felt bad about it. You think, you know, sometimes, you know, God, I want to be part of these amazing things. You get there, and you're like, it didn't work out like I thought it would. I always thought I'd be the one telling him to get up. But God is still the God who raises the dead. Is that true? Amen. Now, I love what Dennis said. He's like, I'm not the evangelist that lays hands on the sick. I'm just a guy that knows how to pray. You know, when there's a scripture where Jesus says, you want to you know the, the heart of the kingdom? He said, ask, seek, knock. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. Everyone who knocks, the door will be open. And I think if there is such a key, which I don't like, there's, there's two things I would say. Seek God and don't stop seeking. Ask God and don't stop asking. Knock and don't stop knocking. Just don't stop. If there's ever a key to the kingdom, it's don't give up. Right? What's the worst that can happen is you don't give up until the day you're dead. And then you win anyways. And I think, that, I think that's it. So um, I would say today's story has two applications. One is the idea that we, we do serve a God 
who raises the dead. Now, maybe, obviously, I'm, I'm, to, to those of us that are sitting here, that doesn't apply directly to you because you're here. Um, but maybe there's something that's gone dead in your life, right? Maybe there's something that you, you've just given up on, that thing, the blood is drained out, just like Dennis talked about. It's just gone. It's not breathing anymore. You had hope and dreams for it. Um, in a minute, we're going to invite the, the team back up, and we're going to sing a, a song. And I just want you to say, maybe, maybe, maybe that's a position you need to be in, and say, God, I know that you're speaking to me, and I know that um, you've been speaking to me for a while, that this thing is not meant to be dead, but there's life in it. And allow him to bring that back. Allow him to speak into that again. You know, maybe just allow that. Or, or the second thing is, and which I really hope for some of us this is the case, is that maybe ministry seems um, really far away. Really far away. And um, maybe we can just realize, no, I can walk towards somebody. Right? I can lean into God. I don't have to have it perfect. I can love people. I don't have to have the right prayer. Wouldn't that be good? Yes. So why don't you stand with me? Zach, and I think Zach, I don't know if it's the team, the whole team, um, but whoever, is going to sing a really a, a new song for us. But I want it to be sung over us more so than necessarily you have to worry about the words. Okay? Now, it's a unique song because what he's singing is, I just want to remember the name of Jesus in every situation of life. And some of the words he's going to sing is going to sound a little interesting maybe to some people because it's very specific. And you're going to be saying, well, I'm not going through cancer, but maybe somebody is, right? Well, I'm not going through financial problems, but maybe somebody is. I just want to encourage you, let the words of this song kind of um, just wash over your spirit and decide today like, hey, God, we just, we just thank you for all that you have, all that you are. No matter what we're walking through today, I choose to sing your name. And uh, yeah, just be open to what the Lord does.